0: to embarrass you but work on your Spanish a few hundred attractive young ladies from Ecuador (coughs) will see you and we'll even have you preach to the young people on Saturday night so work on your Spanish and uh, send me some PR material we'll have a great don't let me down I'm trusting you're gonna (coughs) we um, really appreciate your pastors uh, I thought about telling some things that have happened under their ministry. Then I thought, they're not going to believe me, so I'm not going to tell you. But just let me, uh, some really sovereign, unusual moves of God have happened. And so we'll, we'll just have to have you preach when you come down or something and see what the Lord has in store. But we do appreciate them. Appreciate Um, I was wondering how I could look for some common ground to open up, since this is my first time here for meeting almost all of you. Uh, Are there any grandparents here in the building? Thank you for the witness. You know what grandparents do when you connect. So I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here of my grandkids here, just for a starter. open. rest of you uh, indulge me here a little bit. This is our oldest son, Kirk, and his oldest, Alex, when she graduated from high school, and now she's married a young man that's joined the Air Force, and they are in New Mexico, and uh, this is JJ, our artistic, severely autistic grandson, named after his two grandfathers, Jacob Jerry and our son Kirk. He lives in a uh, state-run home in Sweden, and um, there he is this is uh henry our son that's the ones who they're gonna come i'm gonna we're gonna show you where we're at but when you go and see where henry's at and it's a whole nother world so uh well you'll see and his wife yvonne and their three children and he is the pastor elect uh i'm on my way out and he's on his way in we're doing a five-year transition and um That's my son Glenn David with his wife uh, Gisela and Lucas and Natalia. He manages retirement funds. Uh, Poor young fellow trying to make his way through in the Dallas area. Uh, Joke intended there. (coughs) And this is our daughter, uh, Andrea, with uh, Janice. And uh, that's our first grandchild. It's an old picture. Okay, that's Olivia. Okay. And this next one, the last one, is, oh, yeah, Now I'm Kansas City son-in-law <laughs> taking a picture of Olivia in a San Francisco uh, jersey at the German consulate. You'll have to, I better not, I'm remembering where I'm at this morning, and so I better not tell you <laughs> what my daughter cooked up here. Uh, but anyway, the reason he's smiling with that smirk on his is it's good for 10 years when you take it at the consulate, and so he's, uh, Yeah. And then this is the next picture. Uh, and that's uh, just last month. We had our, That's an old picture, Olivia. Oh, that's Olivia. That's our eighth grandchild. Sorry. <laughs> and the, the reason that our ninth grandchild born last month in Honolulu and the reason she's with me is because I put together this PowerPoint. And so uh, that's why. And uh, only grandparents would appreciate seeing other grandkids. Janice and I both gave our hearts to the Lord as children, and we were called to missions as adolescents, and met in Bible school, and after that, worked at a small Spanish church, and uh, we both worked, paid off our school loans, and then we went and... um, Pastored a small church. I'm dating myself when I say we had to become pastors for three years before we become missionaries. That's the way the policy was uh, 50 years ago. And so that's what we did. While there, I remember attending a pastor's institute, and I heard Bob Schuller say, search for a city, pray and seek God, and search for a city where you would be willing to give your life to build a church to impact that city for God. And that resonated with my heart and that's what I wanted to do. So um, after pastoring that uh, church, uh, little church in the rural community for three years, John and Lois Bueno invited us to come and work with them in San Salvador for a term. And then John says, after the term here, you can go any place you want in Latin America with your dream. And so that's what uh, we did. After seeking the Lord and going through my mind through Latin America and doing some research, the least least evangelized country in Latin America at that time was Ecuador, at one and a half percent evangelical Christians. And there was not enough public schools, schools of any kind, for the children to attend there. And so in 1986, we became pastors of a small church of around 50 believers, a little house church that Mary, uh, John Wilkie, and Mary Ann Wilkie had started a few years years before that. The Lord provided a number of miracles because of the women's ministries of our district. Jimmy and a pastor. My presbyter that helped us build a multi purpose room. So we started in 1987 with a small school, K through six, and 900 students on four acres that we were able to buy and begin growing the church. And every year the church has grown until today. As uh, Pastor David has already mentioned, there's about 5,000 students. In a preschool through junior college. And the church runs about 8,000 on a weekend. I'd like to talk today about five truths about the harvest. A lot of people talking about the harvest. I believe we're around the world. Some areas more than other. You know, the harvest is diverse. It's different in the different parts of the world. Five truths about the harvest. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, I'm reading from the message version, What a huge harvest, and how few the harvest hands. So on your knees, ask the God of the harvest to send harvest hands on your way. But be careful, this is hazardous work. You're like lambs in a wolf pack. The first thing I would like to point out is that the harvest is ready. It needs to be harvested or lost. Jesus said, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. There is a window of opportunity to harvest. Can you imagine your response if you were driving down a country road and you saw a sign that said, Fresh strawberries harvested just three months ago you would smile and comment probably to the person next to you and say, silly person, he doesn't realize that that's a perishable item. and You have to harvest it at the right moment. If you have a freestone peach tree in your backyard and you are used to going up and when it's just right, you pick that and you start eating it and it tastes so good that you don't even realize it's dripping all over your shirt and your shoes but you do throw rocks at everything Costco tries to sell you for peaches. The harvester knows to watch for the right time of harvest. And when it is harvest time, every other possible activity must be deferred so that every possible worker will work in the harvest I don't know if you knew this, but it's exactly 12 weeks before the stock of bananas is ready. A male flower pops out. And if you go through the haciendas, the orchards of the great banana industries, you'll see workers going through the orchard and putting a certain uh, color of plastic on that so that 12 weeks later they come through and they actually harvest those um racimos we call them in Spanish. I can't remember what we call them in English because they have to be harvested at just that time. I can't remember if I have a few more things that we harvest there in Ecuador I'm going to show. Oh, yes, rice. It is a proven fact. Three days without rice and the Ecuadorians die. They have to have rice every day. They raise a lot of rice in Ecuador, and here they are checking the grain, seeing the right time, because it's ready to harvest, everything has to be turned toward harvesting the grains. Uh, Swiss do not raise chocolate, it doesn't come from London either. Ecuadorians produce chocolate, uh, cacao, and it's sent beautiful, uh, some of the best chocolate in the world is raised there and it's sent to those that are processed, here it's being Uh, dried out these pods that is ground into and a very interesting process made into all kinds of chocolate and roses that angle that shoots the sun through gives them that special color three and four feet long sometimes are sent to Europe and even Russia all around the world when they're harvested at the right time and sent to many places of the world Here they're being processed and ready for the harvest. It's very interesting how the drip irrigation system and how they grow those and raise them in Ecuador. Uh, Some of the many things that are harvested there in Ecuador, the plants that are raised. Tom Keller has written, "'You cannot be serious about reaching the world "'without focusing on the city, "'where half the world and a third of the slums live or shanty towns exist. And if you ask Dr. Google, he will tell you 80% of Latin America live in urban areas. Some may insinuate that the cities and the children and the single parents are reached in those areas of the world, but they're not. Viv Grig of New Zealand Pentecostal missionary who worked 20 years among the slums of Manila, Philippines, reminds us, the fastest growing people group are the single mothers and the children in the urban slums and the shanty towns. And here you have a few pictures of children in Latin America. Latin America has children. Any place you go in Latin America and many of the urban centers of the world, there are children. And here you see four children. Two have an opportunity, apparently, two do not. The second thing I would like to point out to you is that harvest is work. And here we have a couple of pictures, I think, of the harvesters. That weighs about 80 pounds in their difficult work of harvesting the product that they are gathering in for the harvest. What a huge, diverse harvest. There are people in the jungle, in the desert, in the city, in the country, older, younger, wanted harvesters, Jesus said. Isn't it the only prayer request that Jesus ever made that we would pray for harvesters? We read in God's word, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Um, a hobby of mine is pruning trees and working in the garden and so sometimes when I'm in the States here I have some work I'm going to do and a friend of mine from Mexico and we worked together and we did some and I'm always, can we get some more workers to help us here and his reply is always the same people don't want to work people just don't want to work they're not willing to work harvesting is tough work In the book Good to Great, Jim Collins wrote where a steel mill relocated from one region of the United States into another region of the country because they couldn't find hard workers. So they found the hard workers and then they relocated the steel mill. And if you want to know what regions of the country we're talking about, you read the book because I'm not going to go there. When J. Philip Hogan... Assemblies of God executive director for some 30 years was asked, is it hard to motivate missionaries? His reply was always with a laugh and say, did you ever try to stop one? You see, the Assemblies of God currently, a new believer is added to the church every 29 seconds. A new church is planted every 63 minutes. A new minister is enlisted every 43 minutes. And at almost 68 million, we're nearly 1% of the world's population population. With 95% of Assemblies of God constituents worship in a church outside the USA. I was sitting in a meeting one time, one of the last times I think he spoke while he was a director of foreign missions many years ago, where he joked, at the risk of losing my credentials, them not being renewed because the Secretary of the General Council, the Assemblies of God at that time was in the meeting, and they were good friends. I would like to talk about how that I see a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit in the world today in an unprecedented harvest. And of course, they were. He would make jokes of Calvinism and Armenianism, and we're on the Armenian side, of course. Of course, the Bible talks about both of them, and and uh, make a joke about that. You know, I've thought about what he said a number of times. Then I realized, you know, in my life, my ministry, I've lived during that unprecedented harvest that is exponentially growing, in a way you would probably have a hard time believing. I remember where I was seating when a friend challenged me, Bill Heibels actually is who it was, and he he said to me, a group of a couple of thousand people, but I remember where I was sitting, if you realize you could minister to hundreds or thousands of more people, and, and you realize what you could do and make that happen, and all you need to do that is money, go raise it. It sounds easy. When you're a missionary, and you're talking about millions of dollars, but you know the Lord's had favor on us. and We've um, raised some money and uh, bought five and a half acres and um, invested about $8 million. And for the second time, the Assemblies of God loaned me $2 million on my good name. This is the building that we've just finished here, uh, uh, 35 classrooms. This is what we call campus two, four labs, uh, library, cafeteria, and basketball courts and a soccer field. And we have a couple of floors left to do that we're still working on the church side of the children's ministry. Um, We love children at our church. Uh, Janice is the children's pastor. She has about 500 volunteers and about 1,500 children that are in church every Sunday. Don't you just love them? Fertile fields that are open to the gospel. Um, The third thing I would like to mention this morning, and uh, the harvest is people. Sometimes messy. Sometimes dreams come true. We thank gods for the lands and the buildings that are needed, but they are merely tools and places to meet and worship. It's people. Jesus was never in a hurry. He had time for the Samaritan woman. She was all messed up. Zacchaeus, who was lonely and lost in politics and the pursuit of wealth. The rich young ruler who lost sight of what was really important. I always give a message at the, I always give an invitation at the end of my my message, and it's hard to believe that people always come forward for salvation. Uh, Different things have happened in our lives the last 20, 25 years that have caused that. And we've watched the numbers. We baptize about 30% of the people that come forward. And um, probably 15,000 people the first 20 years were baptized in the church that we're pastoring. I usually preach expositionally book by book through the Bible. After preaching through Luke recently, I began preaching through the book of Acts, and when I got to chapter two, I remember reflecting how that the three thousand that were saved and baptized that day. I guess I just never really figured that out how you baptize three thousand people like that, and then Lydia of Philippi and the jailer and all of those uh, the household that were immediately baptized and the. Ethiopian eunuch who said to Philip, look, here's some water. Why can't I get baptized? And uh, I started thinking, and uh, I'm sure Pastor David here is going to correct me on the exact date and everything, that catechism classes were about 300 later at this and that council, and I don't remember the name, but he does. It was July of 2015, and I remember reflecting out loud at a creative meeting. This is the team that helps me prepare the services What would happen if I could get rid of all the excuses and the obstacles of why people don't get baptized? Now, I know you have a certain understanding of this, but in Latin America, we are experts at creating rules why people should not get baptized. I mean, really. You have to come to eight classes on Sunday evening probably, and you can't miss a class. You probably have to start over. And you have to bring an ID. You have to bring four pictures. You also have to bring certification that you're married. If your ex-husband is in Maine, in Spain, and he won't give you a divorce, therefore you cannot get baptized, and therefore you cannot take communion. These aren't things I'm making up. This is the culture that I live in. And I looked at that book of Acts, and I thought uh, that just doesn't look right. And I just I explained the next Sunday morning the cong the journey that I was on, and I sent one of the staff out to get three hundred changes of clothing and uh, three hundred towels. And the next Sunday I had the tanks filled. We have two tanks in the on the. Uh, auditorium there, and I had pastors in the tank, and so when the service entered, I started explaining to all those people sort of the journey that I was on, and all of you people that have all of these reasons why you haven't gotten baptized, this is your day, and I'm going to baptize you right now, and I explained that baptism isn't a sign of perfection, but it's a sign that you want to die out to this perverse world, and you want to be resurrected in the power of the Holy Spirit, as was Christ from the dead. And uh, that Sunday sounds hard to believe, but we baptized 399 people on that Sunday. And it felt so good. We baptize every Sunday now at the altar call. And I know this sounds like evangelistically I'm talking to you, but every Sunday we baptize 20 to 30 people now. Sort of exciting. More importantly, someone calls them on Monday and they're invited to a new class and someone is placed in charge of that class because as new Christians, we put them in a discipleship process of training them and lead as a, um, to become a small group leader before they lose all their unchurched friends, hopefully within that first year. And we assign a person to care for that small group And then we try to train them to become a small group leader to care for others and disciple someone else. And we have about 900 in that process. The harvest is messy. A young lady approached a small group leader weeping and convicted of the Holy Spirit a number of years ago. The group leader happened to be a medical doctor and a leader in the church and one of Janice's good friends. And it was in a home, one of the homes that we call sort of the up and outer home. It was a wealthy individual whose wife offered the home for a small group meeting, but they were not believers. So the leader of the small group asked the young lady, what's wrong? She said, I've been having an affair for a number of years with my boss. He's a very influential politician, the owner of this house, and he's also my older sister's husband, and she doesn't know about it. What should I do? The weeks that followed were very difficult for everyone. It included physical threats and a motion in Congress that slandered our ministry and insulting flyers on cars in the parking lots the following weeks. But we continued steadfastly. How many know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline? The young lady moved to another country for her safety in the following weeks because, you know, you can understand but before she left, it was on a december the thirty first service. And I remember after the service, her walking her working her way through the crowd and getting to me, and we had one of those knowing glances that we exchanged as I saw her the last time. And she sent me a little note that I stuck in my pocket and read the next day when I did my devotionals with my diary. The little note said, "Thank you, pastor." For not being intimidated in rescuing this little lamb that had lost her way. Harvest is messy. The harvest can be exponential. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns. All the villages. He taught in their meeting places. Reported kingdom news. Healed their diseased bodies. Healed their bruised and hurt lives. And when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless, they were like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees. Pray for harvest hands. I feel something like that. I love the local church. A friend has said the local church is the hope of the world when it operates properly. It's nothing like the local church and the excitement in the local church when people are coming to the Lord and being formed as disciples. Children are being ministered to. Our first few years in Guayaquil were extremely difficult. I had typhoid fever. My wife had some kind of sickness that the doctors couldn't. Diagnosed, even recognized, uh, suggested it might be cancer. And then our daughter was born about six months, seven months later. <laughs> we had friendly fire. I'd never even heard of the expression. I didn't even know what it was. Boy, that's one of the hardest things you can ever go through. Neighbor asked me to play softball on his team. Even let me play third base. So I got out with my night with the sinners every night during the week and had a blast. One time on the way of taking, dropping me you know, off at his house, he says, what do you do? I said, oh, I give these talks on Sunday. I remember Georgie saying, uh, can I come? Probably be okay. George Washington Twyla, isn't that a great Ecuadorian name? <laughs> he was sitting right there. And he came down with everyone else. Georgie sort of stumbled out of the gate. You know, uh, he'd go on binges and do all kinds of wicked things and come home. and Oh, papito, you know, and take care of him, give him a bath and everything else. But when he came to Jesus, all hell broke loose. And they put all kinds of images by his bed and candles and everything else trying to give him to recant. But he didn't. I put Georgie with Ines, one of our pastors that was gifted in discipleship and talking. And she, I remember Georgie coming up to me one time and saying, Pastor, I have learned a new outline, evangelism explosion. I'm going to win my friend Juan to the Lord. And he did. Juan was our coach. And when Juan came to the Lord, Juan did the same thing. He learned evangelism explosion, and he won his f- neighbor, Jaime, his wife. She's a pharmac- uh, pharma- uh, pharmacist, is that right? I'm all mixed up here this morning. They came to the Lord. Uh, that was over 20 years ago. They became trainers for evangelism explosion and prepared for the ministry. And now they're on staff been in staff 20 years, and he has a prison ministry, and 350 people were baptized in the prison, prisoners were baptized, uh, they're in the prisons, Uh, recently they began showing GLS Global Leadership Summit inside the prisons for the staff, the government's letting us do that, the staff uh, and Berean classes from Global University to the prisoners that are discipling other prisons. An exciting ministry, lives being changed in the prison. Fifthly, the most important harvest is the children. Here's some pictures of the most important thing that you can see in a harvest. We love the children's ministry. We love the schools, we love the children. A number of years ago, we had an adolescent that was a very difficult student. Bright, sharp, but a pill. And the administration insisted that his parents come in so that they could reprimand him in front of his parents and they asked their help to get him to straighten out and behave a little better in the school problem is they were Korean and they didn't know Spanish and he would tell them that they were being brought in to be commended because he's such an excellent student that he was being honored (laughs) by explaining to his parents what he was doing well. This sounds hard to believe but the story, the rumor, the story I heard was some way he played hooky, would go downtown, and got into the building where they were having surgeries in one of the clinics and would watch the actual operations that were being. Time goes on, he graduates, he goes off and has his career. A few years ago, the director of our school, I believe it was appendicitis. So he was going in for the operation and he was uh, being prepared and everything was ready and so Then he was ushered in a room where he was to meet his surgeon, and who do you think comes out rubbing his hands and saying, now you are in my hands? (laughs) It was successful, the operation. Sometimes dreams come true. July 26th of 2015, Janice came and grabbed me in between services and said, here, someone wants to talk to you here. She introduced me to Lillian Perez. Lillian said that she graduated from one of our first high school graduating classes. And she reminded me of one day when she was an adolescent and I was walking across Campus One, what we call, and picking up some garbage when she came running up to talk to me and all excited, told me, I want to become a doctor someday. She said, You told me. When I achieve my dream, come back and tell us what happened. Now I'm a doctor. I'm on my way to Manhattan. I won a scholarship to Spain. I've become a medical doctor. And in Manhattan, I have another scholarship to pursue another specialty. What would have happened? if you hadn't come to the LaSalle, that's the name of our school, Janice Asker, oh, I'd be dead. My home was so dysfunctional. I had no future. And I would never have known Jesus. We are in the harvest. We thank you for supporting missions and missionaries around the world. And we uh, congratulate you on... uh, the pastors that you have, you have some exciting days ahead. So buckle up your seatbelts is all I'm going to tell you. And I wanted Janice to come and say a few words of greeting before we close the service. Uh,
1: Good morning. I just want to say... It's good to worship the Lord, people that love Him. Um, As Jerry mentioned, children are our passion. I um, was thinking about this last night. I gave my heart to the Lord as a child. I don't think I was five years old. And I remember singing, Come into my heart, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And the Lord came into my heart. I didn't have to be 12 or 20. I didn't have to understand it. I just said, yeah. And when I was 12, the Lord called me. I felt called to every mission field in the world when the missionaries spoke at the church. And I remember coming down and praying at the front row and saying, Lord, I was very timid. People don't believe that, but I'm one of five girls, and I was the timid one. And I said, Lord, I feel like you're calling me to be a missionary, but I see no noticeable gifts. I have nothing to offer, I'm not very musical. I always thought my sisters were more beautiful and had more personality and more popular and more everything. And I said, Lord, all I have to offer you is my life. He said, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row walking by faith. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because the devil is getting us all messed up, church. Emphasis has to be on the children. Now, that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Get over it. The harvest is ripe here. This ought to be filled with children. Children. Say, I don't have anything to offer you, God except my life. I had no idea. I'd never heard of Ecuador. <laughs> and I was going to be married to this strong man almost 50 years. Then I was a little and he was bossy. Oh, he was bossy. His strong personality. <laughs> no, we have a great marriage. I didn't, that didn't mean anything. The idea being you don't have to know everything and how is it going to work out. That's faith. That's trust. So I'm saying all that to say, um, and we have a lot of stories. He wanted me to tell that story, but I don't feel like telling that right now, so I'm sorry. This guy got scholarship and lived out of the pits, and God just has used him, and now he's come back and works at our school. He's a psychologist, clinical psychologist. And we have a lot of stories, but I feel what I want to say is these children – in the morning, they pay, and in the afternoon, they're on scholarships. And so we need your help. For $38 a month, we can scholarship, help scholarship a child. And so we have some case histories with us today. God speaks to your heart to help sponsor a child to change their life. We will have these case histories back outside of a table there, and, I, and take one and fill it out today to help change the destiny of a child. But I really felt sincerely, and of course we love Dave and Patty and their family, but really, this area is so gorgeous, and there should be a lot of children th- in this area. I just assume there are a lot of children in this beautiful town that we have the opportunity to love, love into the kingdom. And so God bless you, and thank you for having us here today.
2: Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jan. Well, I have to tell you, um, if anybody here wonders where I get some of my ideas, (laughs) a lot of my ideas, it's from being under the shadow of these great missionaries. Um... want to close the service with two things but I want to say something first the difference this is a simplification but bear with me the difference between a breakthrough growing church that impacts the community and a church that exists for itself boils down to this The Breakthrough Church looks around and considers the lost that should be here but aren't. It counts those in the surrounding community that don't know Jesus and has a broken heart for them. The church that stagnates is a church that looks around and counts those that are there is already following me on that. Jesus said that the good shepherd leaves the 99 for the 1. That is not good business thinking. But it's spot on kingdom thinking. We dwell on the one that might be saved but isn't. And we bend ourselves toward that soul or toward that demographic. Now, you may be here. How many, just candidly, how many were a little bit overwhelmed by just the stories and the impact and the pictures? And you're just like, wow just wow but i want to i want to i want to tell you something and i worked this out on my calculator on my iphone right while i was watching you say a church a church of what what does a church like this how can a church like this impact and help how could we even begin to speak into the life of missionaries who've been on the field for 32 years and lead a church of 10,000? Jerry is the most, he's such a man of integrity. He's so nervous that, oh, I don't want to inflate my numbers. Because he has 8,000 people show up, so he's going to say his church. When you have that number of people, the footprint of the church is easily 10 to 12,000. Easily. So how can we impact a church of 10,000? We're we're a church of, I'm going to round, give a round number of about 125. So you're like, what does, how do, you know, well, I want to tell you some ratios here. The ratio of this church to the population of this town, how many people are in this church over against the population of Camas, which is round number, about 25,000, is about 1 to 200. Right? 125 to 25,000. is about 1 to 200. So there's one person in this church per 200 people in the community. Centro Cristiano de Guayaquil. Guayaquil Christian Center, the church and the ministry that you just heard about, is a church of 10,000 in a city City of three million souls at the ratio of one to 300. We're a bigger church in our community than their church is in their community. We've got fish in a barrel compared to what they're dealing We're going to take an offering, and I want the brethren to prepare to take an offering for this missionary couple. And I want to tell you, I haven't talked much about sowing and reaping, just because I haven't gotten to it yet. But I want to tell you, that's not prosperity preaching. That's the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to ask Jan and Jerry to please come here to the altar And as you give your offering, you're going to give the offering like we normally take the offering, but I want us to have a time of prayer, an opportunity. Can we have um, the musicians come? And I want to make an appeal to you, and I'm making this appeal before we take the, the offering. As you give after the pan passes, listen to me, saints. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care your story. I don't care your headwinds and the difficulties and the impossibilities that appear to be blowing against you. If you want to be used of God to impact souls and you want expert soul winners to pray for you, I want to invite you to come forward and have these missionaries pray for you and minister to you.